This morning we'll be wrapping up uh, a series of talks that I've titled Side by Side, um, and I've really enjoyed these. These have been really fun to study, really fun to preach, uh, really fun to talk about, talking about relationships, and we've talked about all sorts of different things, uh, interpersonal relationships, our relationship to God, Him calling us friend, uh, which was one of my favorites that I've done in this series. But we're going to look at, again, um, what friendship looks like in the New Testament. And this story is one of my favorites in all of the New Testament because it involves some crazy friends. And if you don't have crazy friends, you need to find some, okay? Crazy friends are the best. Crazy friends are the ones that don't let you just sit. They're the ones who challenge you, the ones who push you, the ones who will do anything for you, even looking ridiculous. And that's what this story is about this morning. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2. It's a story that's found in all the synoptic gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is the weirdo and wrote his own thing and tells us all sorts of stories that the other three don't and tells us details that the other three don't. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this story all just a little bit differently. And that's pretty cool because um, it's the same thing like if something happened here and I took all of your eyewitness statements, they'd all be just a little different because you all see things differently. You may find things to be more important than others. And that's one of the things I love about reading the, especially the three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Gospels together and studying them together is because you get a little bit of a different view from each of the different authors. Uh, Matthew, he Honestly, you can tell he doesn't see this to be a super important uh, moment, and so there's not a lot of details in Matthew. Mark will look at, um, and Luke will just touch on a little bit, but they had a little more emphasis. They were much more impacted by this, this moment. Um, and this is really early on in Jesus' ministry. Uh, there's not much that has happened. There's been a few miracles. He's called um, a couple of his disciples, but he, he hadn't even called all of his disciples yet. And he's already teaching, and he's already drawing a crowd. And so Mark chapter 2, we'll start in verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them, Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the man, lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming or lying against God. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Ha ha, spoiler alert, he is God, but they don't know that yet. Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which, that always bugs me about Jesus when I read it in the Gospels, because that means there's not a thing I can think that he doesn't already know, and that bugs me. Okay, I want my own thoughts sometimes, Jesus. I don't need you like in there telling me all the time, but that's what he does. And I love this because they're not, they hadn't even said it out loud. They were just thinking it, and Jesus like, oh, no, 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 we can't even have the thinking of that. You don't even have to say it. We can't even have the thinking of that. Why are you thinking these things? Then he continues, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. 
This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. That's, that's one of my favorite lines in all of Scripture. I don't know why, but there's something profound about like, the group saying, I've, I've, that's, that's, I've never seen that before. That's amazing. And I think, shouldn't that be our sentence every time we walk away from reading Scripture? I've never seen that. That's amazing. That's ama- like, they were just astounded at what God could do. And they weren't even sure yet that Jesus was God. They figured he was some sort of representative of God because only God could do these things. But they didn't yet know who Jesus was. But they were still amazed. And the other part of the story that I want to touch on real quick is we see that these men could not get into the house, right? That's what the story says. And so they walked up on the roof and tore the roof open. But after the man's healed, he walks out just fine, I, that, that was weird to me. And I got to be honest. I got to be honest. If a paralyzed man, all that, that we all knew, because it's a small community, we all knew this was a paralyzed man, paralyzed most of his life, all of a sudden he's standing up and walking, I think it's weird enough that you're going to give space. Like, I'm not, th- that was cool, but that, that's kind of, I don't know. And so it's like people, the Red Sea parted for this guy as he was exiting. They couldn't get him in, but had no issue getting out. And so we're going to look at three groups, three characters uh, in this story, really focusing on the last one. But I want to talk about the man on the mat first. He doesn't get a lot of play in this story, even though he's one of the central characters. He's just kind of there. Uh, He's a little bit of a bystander. bystander. Um, But when you look at the man on the mat, he's completely and totally helpless. There's no way that he could have got himself in front of Jesus. We see in other stories that Jesus is walking along and there's blind men and paralyzed men that are calling out to Jesus from the side of the road saying, please, son of God, come do something. This wasn't one of those situations. Jesus was at a home and he was teaching. But this paralyzed man had no way of getting there. He was totally helpless. And I wonder if, if he had heard, because we know, looking at Scripture in the, in the order, that, that Jesus had done some things. Jesus had performed some miracles. Had, I think he'd cleansed a leper, and he'd done a couple things. I wonder if that news had gotten to Capernaum, where these men were. And then I always wonder, was it the man on the mat or the friends who came up with the idea first? Because if, if, if the paralyzed man is like me, I'm probably not one to try and rally my four friends to carry me to Jesus. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, sometimes you just accept your lot in life. Like, this is just the way it is. My friends are busy. They've got their own families. They've got their own stuff. They've got their own jobs. They've got their own thing. Jesus might be able to do something, but, but I'm just, I'm just going to be here. I wonder. Or did he say, guys, this is my chance. This is my shot. So you got to do something. And I think there's a level of faith between the two. There's a different level of faith between the two. When we accept our lot in life and accept this is just the way it is, sometimes I wonder if we're limiting what God can do. You can't limit God. Yes, absolutely you can. The New Testament tells us that Jesus could not do certain things in certain places because there was no faith. So our faith plays a role in in what God can do in our lives. In fact, this story says that Jesus saw their faith, and that moved him to do something. 
Our faith moves God to do things. And sometimes when we're lying on our mat and we're completely helpless and we just say, that's the way it is, are we showing our lack of belief of what God can do in our lives? Because I think we need to be the man on the mat that rallies his friends. Guys, I know it's a long way, and I know I'm kind of heavy, and I, I can't help, but you've got to get me there. God, he can do something. I know he can do it. He can do something. So these four friends, grab him. And we're going to refer to the man on the mat here and there throughout the rest of this message, but I wanted to let you guys in on something. In all the stories in Scripture, I like to put myself as the hero. Okay? In the story of the Good Samaritan, I'm always the Good Samaritan. Truth be told, I'm actually the guy half dead on the side of the road. That's the actual role I play. In this story, I'm generally not the friends carrying the man on the mat. I'm generally the man on the mat. Completely helpless, can't do anything on my own, need people to come alongside me and help. So just so we're all clear, let's be honest for a minute, this morning we're all the man on the mat. Okay, We're definitely not Jesus in the story. Some of you might be the friend, but we're probably the man on the mat. I just want to talk about the crowd for just a second. I've read this story. I've read Matthew, I've read Mark, I've read Luke. But when you study them together, there's something about the crowd that I'd never noticed before. Luke tells us that the crowd was filled with Pharisees and teachers of the law. That was really poignant to me. Here's this man on the outside who needs to get to Jesus. But the religious people create such a spot where he can't. That really struck me this week. That really challenged me personally this week. What am I doing that's creating a barrier for the people who need Jesus and they can't get there? What am I doing? Is there, are there things in my life? Are there things in my activities? Are there things in, in the way I treat people that, that I am the crowd that won't let the man who needs Jesus get close to Jesus? And that really, really struck me. It's a group of religious people had created such a crowd that the person needed, that the person who desperately needed Jesus couldn't get there. And I wonder sometimes, do we, other churches, the church in the United States, are we the same way? Are we so desperate to get close to Jesus, those, who already, those of us who already have him? Are we so desperate on a Sunday morning to get to Jesus because we're not doing the things Monday through Saturday to stay close to Jesus, that we're so desperate on a Sunday morning to get to Jesus that we create an atmosphere where the people who really need him can't get in? I'd never noticed this in the story, and it absolutely is the part that I'm stuck on personally. We've got to create, we've got to destroy barriers. We have to destroy the barriers that keep the people who desperately need Jesus outside of the house. And here's what's really hard is I, I, I think, this is just me reading into the story, but I think if you ask any of those Pharisees or, or teachers of the law, they never intended to do that. They never intended to keep that man out they were just so excited to be close to Jesus. They were so excited to learn from this man, and some of them for good reasons and some of them for negative reasons, but they were so excited that they created 
barriers for the man who absolutely needed to get there. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Do we create church? Do we create churches? Do we create Sunday morning experiences? Do we create small groups? Do we create worship sets that we like, that minister to us? Or do we create things that minister to those who desperately need to get to Jesus? Those on the outside looking in. Those who come in and feel lost in a sea of religious statements and religious moments and they don't have religion. Are we being those Pharisees and teachers of the law sometimes and keeping the person who desperately needs Jesus out? So let's look at the four crazy friends. I just put the four friends because I thought I'd be polite, but they're nuts. Okay. These are the friends you need, okay? These are the friends that every single one of us absolutely need because they are amazing, okay? Because even if, the, even if the man on the mat is constantly rallying, constantly encouraging, constantly the cheerleader of these four men, they take some steps that are just absurd. And if you've been in church long enough, you've heard this story before, and you've probably heard it multiple times. It's just a story. Yeah, they climb up on the roof, they tear the roof open, they lay the guy down. If I had the money, I'd have someone do that right now. I'd have someone tear through the roof and lower a man down and be like, okay, that was weird. Because one, that takes a lot of time. We don't think about that. Because the story in the Bible is like this long. Okay, it's real short. How long does it take to tear through a roof with your bare hands? It's going to take more than a minute. And if the, if the space is so crowded, like, I always think, okay, Jesus, I always picture him sitting crisscross applesauce. I don't know why. That's how Jesus is sitting in my brain when he's teaching. And then all of a sudden there's like dirt and some more dirt and some banging, and some yelling, in muffled tones, because of course there's a roof, but you know something's going on up there, and then like the bright light comes in, and then there's ripping and tearing, and here comes a man lowered down on a mat. That's weird. But because we've been in church so long, it's like, oh, it's just it's so cool. They're just, oh, they knew Jesus. They had so much faith. They didn't have a clue. Like, we think this guy might be able to do something. I think that's about as much faith as they had. This guy might be able to do something. It's nuts. It's an absurd story that we just go through, but first off, they took action. You need friends that take action. I see on social media all the time, thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers, good vibes. Man, I don't need your thoughts. Your thoughts don't do me any good. Oh, I've been thinking about you. Who cares? That does nothing. Why well, sent you good vibes? Thanks. The universe really appreciates your good vibes that do nothing for me. Our thoughts and prayers need to become prayers and actions. Can you imagine a church? Could you imagine a whole church that instead of going, oh, our thoughts and prayers are with you? No, our prayers and our actions are with you. That we put feet to our emotion, we put feet to the problem, and we solved it. 
Because here's these guys. Number one, the first action they took is they carried the man on the mat to the building. We forget that part. In the story, we just kind of think that the guy just showed up. No, let's say, let's say they carried the man, let's even go a quarter of a mile. Anyone, anyone ever carried someone a quarter of a mile? Someone carried someone upstairs. You know what children, when they're dead asleep and they triple in weight, you know, you know what I'm talking about? When they offer you no help, and they just floppily carry, yeah, that's, this man is paralyzed, okay? He cannot help. And he's a full-grown man. And he's on a mat. And it's not a hard mat. These weren't hard mats. They were, at best, uh, like a, like a bamboo-style mat that you could roll up. But it's probably more like a blanket. So there's no good way to carry it except to kind of wad up the end and just grip strength it. But they took action. And then the other part of the story that I love is, is they were not men of, like, real planning. You can see that. They were men that reacted. This guy who's done some other things is here in town. We think that he can do something. Let's get him there. Well, how? I don't know. Let's just pick him up. And so they did. And they get there, and they can't get in. They can't get in. Ah, he tried. No, they take another action. They carry him up the stairs to the roof. Oh, well, surprise, there's no holes in the roof to lower him down. No problem. We'll take another action. They continue to be men of action. James chapter 2. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And these men wouldn't just. And when I say, I gotta be careful. There are lots of times that just prayer is all you can do, okay? Like, I'm not saying that prayer is not important. I'm not saying that prayer shouldn't be where we start. I'm not saying prayer isn't where we start and it's the middle and it's the end. But there's a lot of times it's prayer plus action. And that's what, that's what James is saying here thinking about and caring about and wishing someone well is not actually helpful. We've got to do something. And we've got to have friends that'll do something. We've got to have friends that come alongside us. We talked about it last week with Paul and Silas. Silas kind of endured with Paul. This is a different story. This is doing something for our friend who could never pay us back. And going an extra, extra, extra mile beyond what was required. And that's the next thing that you need with friends, is you need friends that don't stop. So you need crazy friends, but also you need that little bit of an obnoxious friend. You know that friend that's constantly there, constantly checking up, constantly doing things, constantly, constantly, they're always there. That's the hardest part about marriage, right? It's constant. They're always there. Like, it's the consistency that makes it hard. That's why life is so hard, is because it's consistent. You can't take a break. You need friends that don't take breaks. You need friends that are not, not going to walk away when something gets difficult. And so I found some pictures. I hope they come out okay. Yes, awesome. I wasn't sure. This is a first century roof in the town of Jerusalem. Okay? This would been very similar to the roof in Capernaum that they tore through. That 
is uh, mud, kind of clay that's been dried on top. That roller, roller is when it gets wet, when it would rain, they would go up there and they'd smooth it out and it would keep compacting and keep getting harder and keep getting harder and keep getting harder. Chances are that would be the only tool that would have been up there to help them get through that roof. This is essentially concrete, okay? That's what it boils down to. It's a very light concrete, but it would have been incredibly difficult to get through. And this is, what they, this is where they had to start. Now, the other part of the story that I'd never really thought about is these guys tear a hole in a roof that they're standing on. That's why I love these friends. They're crazy. They're obnoxious. And they're kind of not concerned with the consequences of their decisions. Because they've got to get someone close to Jesus. They've got to get this guy in front of Jesus. And so with their hands, with their feet, with this Flintstone-looking device, they start cracking the roof. It's not something like you can scratch through. They had to create cracks and peel it up. And then underneath that, this is what it would look like from the inside. So once you get through the clay, now you have to get through all of these. And these would have, been, would have run the length of the roof. So it's not like you could just peel one section. You would have either had to cut them somehow or essentially from the spot that you've torn, grab them and pull 10, 12, 14 feet of reed out through the hole. Again, this was a lengthy process. This wasn't a matter, again, the story takes you 10 seconds, 15 seconds to read in your head. Honestly, this probably took hours. This probably took at least an hour to get through. Because again, you can see they would have had to, let's say he's six foot tall. Okay, let's just throw, you have to tear six feet across to lower him down. This was work. But they didn't stop. They refused to quit. So they carried the man, let's say a quarter of a mile. They carry him up to the roof. They set him down and they begin to work with their hands. How exhausted were they? How tired were these guys at this point? And here's the other part. They hadn't even lowered him in yet. And then my next question is, how in the world did they lower him in? Again, he's on this mat that is a blanket. The part that I realize is I bet they had someone helping from the inside. Probably out of necessity so they didn't drop this man on top of them. Because I think once the roof is open and you see, what are these guys doing? That's a man. That's a person on a mat. Like, they're, they're at arm's length laying on the roof trying to lower him down. I think the guys underneath are like, okay, I'll help at this point just so you don't drop this man on my head. And so they finally set him down. You need friends with great faith. Now again, we say great faith, and I put this in there on purpose. I 
don't know that it's what you and I would call great faith. I don't know that these guys started the process and through the whole process, they're like, we know that this man, Jesus, he's gonna heal him. We know it. He's gonna do it. I really think it was like this guy might be able to do something. You know, it's all the faith Jesus really needs from you. The Bible tells us faith the size of a mustard seed can tell, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can tell a mountain to throw itself into the ocean and it'll do it. I've told you before, every summer I try and walk on water. Every time I see a large hill, I call it a mountain, and I try and command it to throw itself in the ocean. It hasn't happened yet. I say yet. It just takes mustard seed sized faith. And that's what these guys had. But that is great faith in the eyes of Jesus because they took action. They did something to show we at least have enough faith to believe that if we get this guy in front of Jesus, something might happen. This morning, I want to challenge each and every one of you, myself included, what situations in your life do you need to rise your faith level to? Maybe something might happen. You don't even have that much faith right now. You're the man on the mat saying, this is just how it's going to be. And this morning, I'm not, I'm not asking that we raise our faith to God is going to do something. We'll get there. This morning, I want to take that first baby step of maybe God can do something. Maybe God can do something. Back in Mark chapter 2. When Jesus saw their faith. When Jesus saw their faith. In all the commentaries I've read, Jesus is speaking of the four men standing on the roof. When Jesus saw their faith for their friend, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. The faith of the friends is what moved the heart of God. You need friends that will have faith for you when you have none. I'm going to say that again. You need friends who have faith for you when you have none. We don't need to sit and commiserate and recognize life is awful. Let's just get together and talk about how awful life is. No, we need friends that will help us raise our faith level to maybe God will do something. But he saw their faith. He saw what they had done. They saw the action that they'd taken and the steps and that they never quit. And he did something amazing. And here's the results. Number one, same verse. Son, your sins are forgiven. I gotta be honest real quick. If I'm one of the four guys that's carried my friend, carried him up the stairs, tore through that roof, lowered him down, and Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven, I immediately raise my hand. That's awesome. Could you maybe, like, heal him? That's why we brought him to you. Sins, okay, whatever. No, he can't walk. Like, he, he's helpless. Can you do something about that part? But Jesus knew what mattered most. Jesus recognized what mattered most that most of us miss. We always look external first. Fix my situation, God. Fix my circumstances. Fix what's going on. And God's like, I want to fix you. Can we do that first? 
and me. No, 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 no. I need you to fix everything outside of me. I'm good. I need you to fix the things that everyone else can see. Fix those first. That's not where Jesus starts. Because Jesus recognizes something else might happen to this man. He could have another accident. Maybe it was an accident that caused it. He could have another accident, another situation, another loss of something, and something negative can happen. And you can be right back in the same circumstances. But in this moment, everything changed eternally for this man. His sins were forgiven. That was the first result. Second, Jesus tells these Pharisees and religious leaders, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. This is very, very early on in the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus wants to make sure that all of the religious leaders know he is God. Because that's their, their challenge to him was who can, who can forgive sins but God? This is blasphemy. And Jesus is like, exactly. Exactly. I am God. And so from very early on, because these men did what they did, it gave Jesus an opportunity to, one, demonstrate that he can forgive sins, and two, to let people know that he is the Son of God, he is the Messiah, he is their salvation. Because these ridiculous friends did ridiculous things, essentially vandalized a building... Okay, let's call it what it is. These little punks took their friend on top of the roof, vandalized it. Jesus was able to forgive sins and demonstrate that he is the Son of God. And then, I tell you, take up your mat and go home. The man was healed. The man was spiritually, physically, and emotionally healed like that. That's what Jesus does, okay? We've forgotten in, in our American church and our, our super intellectualized American church that we've forgotten that Jesus is the God who fixes things. He is the God who immediately, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark loves that word, immediately, right then, at that moment, doesn't have to wait, isn't a process, right then, healed and changed. morning, what do you need healed from? Oh, it's something small. I don't think God cares. I think if it's bothering you, it bothers him. You know how I know that? Because the things that bother my kids bother me. Even their tiny little hangnails that they'll complain about for months. But deep down, it bothers me. My child is in pain. My child is hurting. If you are hurting, it bothers your father's heart. This morning, maybe you need friends that remind you of that. And then finally, he took up his mat. He got up, took up his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. Everybody saw what happened. This amazed everyone and they praised God. Essentially, four friends who wouldn't take no for an answer, who took ridiculous action, led a group that was so big 
that they couldn't even get in the house, that every single person was praising God. They brought glory to God by their ridiculous actions of faith, which again, we say the ridiculous great faith, but again, I don't think it was that like, oh, this is, he's going to do something. It's, I, it's a good shot. It's the best shot we've got. That's one of the things that I think we need to realize. Jesus is the best shot we've got. Okay? Just look at the world, okay? Just 10 seconds, turn on the news, and then turn it off. The worst. Okay, but in 10 seconds, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's what he was talking about. This world is messed up. Jesus is our only shot. But he's our best shot. You and I can't fix anything. You and I aren't going to do the, the big changes that need to happen. We can't fix the things in our own body. How many of you sometimes wake up in the morning, you go to bed feeling fine, you wake up in the morning and like your whole self hurts? Okay? We need some Jesus. Okay? We are so finite that we need an infinite God to do amazing, amazing things. And then we have got to take actionable steps for our friends that make people say, we have never seen anything like this. Because I think, let's be honest, okay? I don't want to read something in the scripture that's not there. They're talking about this man who could not walk, walking. That's what they're talking about. But I think there's part of it. I've never seen four friends tear through a roof before. Never seen that before. That was new. That was new. I've never seen friends take those kind of steps to ensure someone got in front of Jesus. And that's my challenge to you this morning. For those of you who have said yes to Jesus, for your followers of Jesus, that's who you are. I need you to be the crazy friend. I need you to be the crazy friend that destroys all barriers of getting someone to Jesus. You invite them. Well, I can't. I don't have a ride. I'll come pick you up. Well, I can't. I, I can't go to church. Well, what if? I'm going to give you permission to, to not come to church. I, I know. It's blasphemy. It's okay. What if they came to your house and watched online? I can't get them in the door. You know those people like, oh, I can't go to church, man. That place will burn down if I walk in. Okay, don't come to church. Come to my house. What barriers can you break down that get people in front of Jesus? Because that's what these friends did. They wouldn't take no. They wouldn't stop. They took action. Think about it this morning. Think about it this morning. Because I want all of us to say, every single Sunday that we come into this building and we start worshiping God and we hear a message about God and we are, we are challenged and we are convicted and we hear from scripture, every single one of us should leave going, we've never seen anything like that before. Every Sunday, man, I've, I've never worshiped like that before. I've never heard a message like that before. I've never had a conversation like that before. I've never seen so many people before. I've never, that should be constant on Sunday mornings. But it starts when you become the crazy friends that take real steps to make a difference. Let's pray.
God, you're good. God, you're good, and I thank you so much that you've rewarded these men that you, when they, when they took steps and, and they tore through the roof, you, you didn't tell them to stop. You didn't poke fun at them. But God, you saw their faith, and that stirred your heart. God, I pray right now that you give us more faith. God, that you help us to move from, from I'm helpless on my mat to maybe God can do something. Because, God, that's a huge step. And you don't require great things from us. You require a mustard seed amount of faith. The littlest amount of faith, the tiniest amount of faith stirs your heart, moves your heart. And, God, there's a whole community of people that need to be in front of you to see your goodness, to see your mercy, to experience your love and your forgiveness. God, what are we doing individually and corporately to tear through the barriers and the, and the boundaries and the obstacles that prevent this community from seeing you? God, let us walk side by side with the broken doing everything to get them to you. And God, I look forward to the day when we will all say, I've never seen anything like that before. God, bring revival to our communities, bring revival to our hearts. God, let us be crazy friends. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.